Red Rocks Church, how we doing? Oh, so good to see you guys. Hey, can we start this really quick? Can we pray? Will you guys pray with me? God, we love you so much. I thank you for a church to call home. I thank you for a beautiful February day in Austin, Texas for the Super Bowl. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would meet us here today. Make this space, make this building a lighthouse to our city that continues to shine brighter and brighter to guide more and more prodigals home to you. I pray that you'd give us the God kind of confidence for the year ahead. I pray that you would heighten and increase our awareness of you. God, you're everywhere. Help us to see it and experience you more, not just in the one hour a week that we spend in a church service, but in the 167 in between. We're not just churchgoers. We're your sons and your daughters looking to follow you and experience you with every part and in every hour of our lives. And so Holy Spirit, meet us here. We shut out distractions on purpose. And with calm hearts and quiet minds, we simply say, speak, because we're listening. We love you so much and pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Welcome to church, you guys. So good to see you. Uh, my name's Doug. If I haven't met you, I work here, and I'd love to meet you. Welcome to Red Rocks, where we proudly say that uh, we are just imperfect people doing our best to pursue a perfect God. And by the way, that's true of every church. We just like to, to brag about it and kind of shout it from the rooftops. So you'll hear that a lot around here. And we are in week five of our series called 167. And essentially, here's the heart behind it. You have 168 hours in your week. And on average, you spend about one of them in church. This is a series about using that one hour, this one hour, to help you follow Jesus and experience him in your 167. And over the next two weeks, we are going to talk about doing that in the context of relationships, relationships. And you see, there's something under this jacket. You don't know what it is yet. But if you stick around in five minutes, you just might find out. Cliffhangers, cliffhangers get you to stay. They do. They work. And today, I, I, I want to convince you that... Your relational richness, the richness of your relationships, which you crave. I believe the deepest desire of every human being is to know and be known by God and by, God and by others. Your, your relational richness will be the direct product of your relational generosity. And that'll make sense in a second. I'll explain it this way using Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Here we go. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Quick pause. I don't know who this is for, but God wants you to thrive in this life. It's the whole reason the book of Proverbs is even in the Bible, because he tells us how the world of the generous gets larger and larger. However... The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. There's another translation that says, the one who refreshes others will be themselves refreshed. And those who help others are helped. And so I've heard a pastor named Judah Smith explain like 
He uses this verse to kind of help describe the size, the bigness, or the smallness of our souls. And I'm going to do the same thing with our relational equity, which I would argue has a lot of similarities. And so essentially, like, if this circle is your relational equity, your relational richness, right, then if somebody is mean to me, or if somebody disagrees with me, or hurts me, or causes me pain, or leaves a nasty comment on my Instagram, well, then I can just draw a slightly smaller circle, excluding that person. Unfollow. Which in the world of social media, when you've got a few hundred followers, not that big a deal. But in reality, when really, on average, you do life with between 3 and 12 people, that's a big deal deal. That's a big deal. But it's natural. It's the natural human tendency, like a turtle in its shell. You hurt me, so I will no longer allow myself to be opened up to be hurt anymore, and I'll draw smaller and smaller circles. This is what made Jesus so weird and so counterintuitive from the rest of culture, because he wasn't stingy with his circle drawing. He was actually generous. So if you hurt Jesus, or if you betray Jesus, or how about this? If you crucify Jesus, well, then Jesus will draw a bigger circle, including you, in his relational equity. This goes so against the air that we breathe because when people wrong us and when people don't text us back, we don't want to be socially generous. We want to be relationally stingy. It's normal. However, if you do that, your fate will be the fate of so many people and you'll draw slightly smaller circles and slightly smaller circles and slightly smaller circles until eventually you are the only one left in your circle. The world of the stingy, the soul of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The world of the generous, the soul of the generous gets bigger and bigger. This is a sermon about the latter. This is a sermon about the counterintuitive social laws in the kingdom of heaven. Because in our culture, most people equate real happiness with being rich and being famous. And while I'm guessing money and fame can be great distractions from the fact that you're unhappy, only real relational richness will make you truly happy. So we'll call this sermon Rich in Relationships. And I want to show you why investing in your relationships is the greatest wealth that there is. And I want to show you that God wants you to be rich in relationships uh, by being famous to a few. I'm famous to my son, and it feels a lot like being rich. Harvard has this famous study. It's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It's the longest research study that's ever been conducted, 20, like 75 plus years. So back like during World War II, they started it. Harvard picked 724 people, and they, they followed those people throughout their entire lives. 60 of them are still alive, and now Harvard's even researching and following their spouses and their kids, right? And it's people from all different walks, all different kinds of hands dealt to them, right? Some started with everything and lost it all. Some started with nothing and gained everything and everything in between. And after 75 years, they've looked at all their research 
and they've tried to conclude what is the thing, the thing that truly makes human beings happy in this life. And by far, like the conclusion was easy. The answer is healthy relationships. In fact, Harvard would even say the health of your relationships will determine more of your longevity of life than your cholesterol levels. Yeah. And I would argue that makes sense because we were created and designed for community. And I'll prove it to you in Genesis 1 verse 26. Here it is. Let us. By the way, this is God in Genesis chapter 1 when it's just God. So you're like, God, who are you talking to? Is this like Gollum from Lord of the Rings personality? Like, let us make mankind in our image to be like us? Like, it's just God. So is God by himself? Yeah. Was he alone? No. Was that confusing? A little bit. A lot of it, actually. God is within himself a trinity. Three separate entities, yet one God. Try unity Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, truly the three best friends anybody could have. God is within himself, church, a community, which means we are relational beings because we're created in the image of a relational God, which is why as people, as human beings, we have this intrinsic, innate pull towards each other because God does. This is why the TV show Friends is the most popular, most watched television show in all of history. You want what they have. Those six characters, you want what they have, I would argue, because you are designed to have what they have. Because you are a community being designed for community. And you have to follow Jesus for yourself, but you were never designed to follow Jesus by yourself. And I am telling you, God wants you to be rich in relationships by being famous to a few. Let your wealth be in your relationships. Hey, can we pass this back to Kyle? Can you give it up for Kyle? Thanks so much for your jacket, bro. It was the perfect size. God is here. Let your wealth be in your relationships. So don't panic. We're not talking about money. I got a penny ba- piggy bank, but we're not talking about money. We are talking about relationships. I had a piggy bank when I was a kid. My mom said, if you want to be rich, that happens by depositing, not withdrawing. I mean, you'll have to withdraw. You'll have to spend, but it happens by saving and depositing, saving and depositing. And so I'm gonna, I, want, I want to show you that being relationally rich is the greatest wealth that there is. And we have been given things. We have been given things to deposit into our relationships should we so choose. And Hebrews, there's two verses in Hebrews chapter 10 that tell us exactly how to do it. And for the next 25 minutes, I just want to preach like crazy those two verses because they give us three points. So let's read these two verses. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25. Here we go. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love. Everybody say spur. There we go. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do not give up 
meeting together. Everybody say, get to church. church. Although you don't need to say that because you're in church. Do not give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage, last one, say encourage. encourage. Here we go. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Spur, do not give up meeting together and encourage each other. So we're going to go through each of those, all three. Number one is this. We'll simply say it like this. Spur and be spurable. Not sure if that's a a word, but I made it a word. Pastors do that all the time. Spur and be spurable. Once again, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So I did some research on Google this week. Turns out good spurs, properly designed spurs, actually don't hurt horses. When the spur has a good design and you combine that with the horse's thick skin, the horse feels good pressure but not bad pain. And spurring the the horse on helps the horse run faster and better. And so years ago, back in college, me and Ryan, this is my little bro Ryan right here, we we got into running. I'm not sure why. Still looking back, I'm like, what inspired this? Because there's literally a proverb that says only a fool runs when nobody is chasing him. And now now I get it. Now I understand. For whatever reason, we were inspired like, hey, let's let's get into jogging. Might be jogging. It might be a soft J. I don't know. But apparently you just run for an extended period of time. Supposed to be all the rage. So we checked it out. And we (laughs) were driven, young men. Okay, and so one day we made a very bold and very rash spur of the moment decision to sign up for a marathon, all right? At this point in my life, the farthest I had ever run was a few miles, okay? So just so so you know, a marathon is 26.2 miles, but like our whole mentality, like our, our, our thinking was this, we don't have to run it fast. Doesn't matter how long it takes us. All we want to do is run the entire way without stopping and cross that finish line so we can cross off, run a marathon on our bucket list. And so here here was our training regimen, just for your laugh, okay? Three Sundays out. That's when we started. Three Sundays out. We ran for a little bit. And that was it. And then we, we rested. We took the whole week off. And then two Sundays out, we ran for a little bit again and then took the whole week off. And then the week, the Sunday before race day, here was our whole plan. Our whole plan was like, okay, we're going to split up. Ryan, you go that way. I'll go this way. And both of us will just run as long as we can. And we'll be ready. We'll be ready for the marathon. And so Ryan goes right, I go left, and I'm not kidding you. This is not an exaggeration. I run for 15 minutes, church. And then I I start to realize this is dumb. I hate running. I'm in pain. I'm not good at this. And I decided 15 minutes in to turn around and start running home. However, right when I made my U-turn, a bus came by, stopped at the bus stop, Sure enough, it was the bus that goes by my house, and I hopped on the bus and took the bus the entire way home. 
I get home, <laughs> Ryan showed up like an hour and a half later, just like out of breath, just like, bro, when did you get back? Oh, right before you, man. And I, I, I didn't tell him until years later, like totally ready for this, right? <laughs> the point, <laughs> by myself the week before, I made it 15 minutes before I took the bus home. So race day finally came. Ryan and I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, stretched, laced up our Nikes, ate some of those energizing jelly beans, which don't do crap, <laughs> and started running. And we stuck together, and neither of us would let the other stop, regardless of how much pain we were in. We spurred each other on to finish strong. And this might shock you, but in three hours and 59 minutes, the most painful three hours and 59 minutes of my entire life, like this cost me dearly for months after, okay? But we finished the race, like without stopping. Because, and I mean this only because, we spurred each other on to finish strong and neither of us would let the other person quit. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, crossing that finish line must have just been so amazing. Like, you'd think that would be the greatest feeling of relief I've ever had in my entire life. But I was so angry by that point and in so much pain. Like, all of this so I can just, like, cross something off a list, like that's my reward, going like, I was so, I was so, like, you know when you have like a, a leg day and you haven't worked out in like a year, I, like that was this times like 10, I could not walk up stairs, okay, I actually had to sleep on our couch, <laughs> because I had to, because I couldn't, get, like, I couldn't go to class, because there were too many staircases <laughs> on our campus, it wasn't because I was a baby. Like, I actually couldn't do it. The point is, and I do have a point, on my own, I ran for 15 minutes until I took the bus. With Ryan, I ran 26.2 miles, even though I had no business, and I mean no business, being on that course. But we made it. We did it only because we would not let each other quit, and we spurred each other to finish strong. And because of that memory... Our relationship is more valuable because of it. So this will start to make more sense. So follow. The writer of Hebrews, why does he challenge us to spur each other on? I would say this. Because he knows how common of a story it is to quit and get on the bus and go back. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but we know who it was written for the Hebrews, look at you little theologians, right? <laughs> Recently converted Jews who were tempted to go back to the way things used to be in their lives. Maybe you can relate to this. When you got a, a way of life that's comfortable and then Jesus crashes in and interrupts your regularly scheduled program and calls you to a new life. And it's exciting, but it is not easy. And I'm telling you, the number one determining factor, not just for the real happiness that you will experience in this life, but for where you will end up in this life, are the people you're running with. Your closest friends, your circle will either push you further, closer to God, or they will pull you farther away from God. There is no 
third option. And this might be honestly like, this might be like the one thing that I've, I'm like, I've done that right when it comes to my, my faith. Because I've surrounded myself with friends who love God as much as, if not more, than me. I married one. And they don't let me quit. And they don't let me settle. And because of that, and by the, the grace of God, my relationships are richer because of it. Do you spur your friends on? Is that something that you do? Can you take personally somebody else's, your friend's dream and destiny? Can you take that personally? Like, I'm going to spur you. I'm going to invest in our relationship by spurring you on to your destiny. This might be a better question. Are you spurable? Can you be called out? Can you be challenged without getting offended? Because you can be emotional without being fragile. Have you given those closest to you permission to check your blind spots for you? Because by definition, you can't see your blind spots, right? Iron sharpens iron. That's an amazing verse. But by definition, once again, that doesn't feel good. It feels a lot like tough love. But tough love, if you can take it, always, and I mean always, adds value to relationships. Can you take it without running away and looking for an easier story to live and different friends who won't push you as hard or call you to the same level? Because if you can, then your resilience, your spurable skin will tell good stories that you lived with great people as you make each other better and draw bigger and bigger circles together. I am telling you, some of my richest, not easiest, richest memories with Ryan and Ethan are not easy ones. They came on painful nights and long and difficult seasons where none of us would let the others quit or settle or take the bus home. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Listen to me. You have to run your race for yourself. You were not designed to run it by yourself. And yes, alone you can go faster, but together we can go farther. But only if you can spur and only if you're spurable. Amen? That's number one. Number two, here we go. Time is money. Time is money, people. So invest it in people. Let me remind you really quick, Hebrews 10, 25, the first half. Do not give up meeting together. Why does the Bible over and over say, hey, community is not easy. Relationships are anything but simple. This is messy, so don't quit. If it was easy, he wouldn't say, don't give up. Don't give up meeting together. Continue to give your people the benefit of the doubt. Continue to fight to keep your heart soft and believe the best in people and to forget. Like, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So what's the one resource that requires? Meeting together. Your time. Time is money. 
If you want to be relationally rich, invest your time into relationships. However, by definition, the investment of time, it's a bad word. And if you don't want to hear it, cover your ears right now because I'm about to say it. Commitment. (laughs) Commitment. Why is commitment such a bad word? Well, because if I commit to this, then I'm going to miss all of this. And can I just say this? That's true. But let me also say this. That's still true even if you don't commit to this. And I'm not just talking relationships. This is commitment for anything and everything. If you don't commit your time to something, you will end up missing out on everything because anything worth having or experiencing will cost you your commitment. There's one certainty in life. You and I are all going to miss out on about a million things. The only question is, will you actually experience something worth experiencing by giving your time to it? Like, this is why, this is why FOMO, <laughs> I'm not kidding, is like one of the greatest enemies of your relational richness because FOMO keeps you from giving your, your time. FOMO is the, the fear of missing out. If I commit to this, I'm going to miss all of that. And I, I totally get it. It's an epidemic, and I'm part of it, right? Because options are going up literally for everything. And the more options go up, the more there is to miss out on if I commit to this. <laughs> and the more commitment is going down, down, and down. This is why statistically people would rather choose from 10 movies on their United Airlines flight than be at home and have to pick from 100,000 options on Netflix. Because at least uh, when I'm on my flight, I can watch this movie in peace without having to FOMO literally 99,999 other options. As options increase, ironically enough, happiness is doing the opposite because all the options keep us from giving ourselves to something. So this leads me to the 80-20 rule. I don't know if you've heard of that before. I don't know who made it up, but I think it's brilliant. And so when it comes to picking people, essentially, whether it's a church, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friend group, whether it's a community, when it comes to picking people, I believe this. The selection process is is hugely important as long as you understand that perfection is a myth. Because every person, you included, Every friend group, every community, every church, none of them are ever going to be able to give you 100% of what you want. None, because we're talking about people here, right? But if you show up willing to give the same, you will find people, friend groups, communities, churches that are really good and strong 80s. Give you 80%. All right? However, here's what happens. Here's what happens. We have this idealistic and ignorant proclivity That's a big word, proclivity. I don't know why I even wrote that. I'm like, I've never used that before in my life. I was feeling really smart last night when I wrote this. We have an idealistic and ignorant proclivity, church, to leave the 80 that we have to find the 20 that we're missing in something else, okay? But listen to me. Everybody's got a 20. You've got a 20. Every friend group's got a 20. Every church has got a 20. Heck, at this church, we probably have a 30. We're on a journey just like everybody 
else. And so before you leave the 80 for your 20 in anything, you better make sure that 20 is worth it. Because what you might find out is it was only 20. At best, it'll be 80. Because we're talking about people. And only God is perfect. So you better make sure that it's worth it. And remember, relationships that don't require work are a myth. Do not save all of your time for something or someone that is perfect. Because I'm telling you, if you wait for that, you will never invest it. You'll never invest it. The TV show Friends is not magical because everything's perfect. Every episode is conflict and straight-up dysfunction. That TV show is magical because nobody leaves searching for perfection somewhere else. So me and Sam, our marriage has been difficult in so many ways over the past six years. And I want to tell you that so you can feel better about you because sometimes people look at pastors or other marriages and think, I am so far behind and I just want to tell you, you're in good company, okay? So feel better. The past six years of my life have been the most complicated years of my entire life. And my wife would say the exact same thing. Why? Because we're both 80s. Actually, she's an 80. I'm like a 72 on a, on a good day. <laughs> But it's also been, and I mean this, the most relationally richest six years of my entire life. Why? Because we're not waiting for perfection to invest our time into a relationship, right? Your job's a joke. You're broke. Oh, your love life's DOA? Well, I'll be... There for you. Translation, despite the imperfection, you can have my time. Because here's the thing. You can't take this with you one day, guys. Bless you. You can't take this with you. I would argue like David in his 23rd Psalm, he writes, God, you overflow my cup. The source is him. He is the infinite source of love and belonging and fills our cup, and we can't take this. All we can do is invest what we have into the relationships God has given us. I'm telling you, this is the legacy that you'll leave behind, and I believe the size of the soul that you will take with you. Time is money. Invest it in relationships. Don't miss celebrating the 80 because you're missing the 20. Commit your time to nothing and your fear of missing out will become your reality. But like Jesus, offer your time generously, draw your circles generously, and watch your soul, your life, your relational equity get bigger and bigger. And number three, and Ben, you can come back up. Here it is. Speak life. If God can get it to you, I'm sorry, speak life. If God can get it through you, then God can get it to you. So let's pretend really quick in the world of relational, in the relational world, let's pretend that it's an economy, right? And we all want to be rich in relationships, in love and belonging. And God is the bank account that never runs dry. God is the source, right? People aren't the source. So often we show up to social settings or to relationships looking to just withdraw and withdraw and withdraw. And there will be times where you need to do that. 
And I'll even tell you, church will always be a place that you can do that because God is our source and he is infinite. But that's something that you need to understand also because a lot of us will show up to relationships just looking to withdraw from those relationships, getting frustrated at people because they can't give us what only God actually can give us. I've seen this in my own marriage. I believe this is like, this is responsible for a lot of dysfunction in marriages because people think the other person can complete them and give them something only God can when God's saying, hey, I know a guy who has a bank account that never runs dry, who's here to fill your cup anytime that you need it. And when you know that, then you can show up to marriage. You can show up to a friend group. You can show up to church. You can show up to any social setting with something to give, not needing to take a thing. Yeah. Ed Long, I don't know where Ed is, but he is the best greeter any church has ever had, ever. Not because of what he makes us think about him, but because of what he makes us feel about ourselves. Because he shows up looking to deposit. Like that's your word. If you are an introvert, I'm an extrovert. And this like the lobby after church makes me nervous. If you're an introvert, I'm so sorry. Let me give you one look. Like this might be the most practical piece of advice you ever get from me. Here it is. And I'm learning this. I, I, I watch Ed and I pick up on this. Have a few questions ready to go that you can ask people so they can talk about themselves and then find one thing they say and encourage them in it. And overnight, you will be a social genius. I'm telling you, you will be a social genius because you show up looking to give something. And when you give something, you will get from the source. He who refreshes, she who refreshes will be refreshed. Our drummer, Corey, this guy right here, speaks more life than anybody that I know. There's power in the tongue for life and death. This guy shows up every week. Every time I'm with this guy, he's telling me, bro, you're doing better than you think you are. The church is awesome, man. So many, like, this is amazing. I'm like, Corey, you really believe that? And he's like, yeah, I really do, bro. And I'm like, how are you so refreshed all the time? It's because he refreshes others. That's what he does. And the Bible says when you refresh others, you will be refreshed. It's paradoxical. It's counterintuitive because we think if I need something, then I need, to, I need to withdraw it. I need to get it from people. But I'm telling you, if you feel empty, like your bank account is low of love and belonging, show up to church, show up anywhere looking to deposit. That's it. That's your word. Deposit. Deposit, because I promise you, like, like, no, like, gone are the days in the kingdom of heaven where you show up to anything thinking, somebody better see me and encourage me today. According to Hebrews 10, that's not going to go well for you ever. But if you show up thinking, who can, like, even though I'm empty, who can I encourage today? Who can I refresh today? Who can I make feel seen today? And then you sit back and you watch how he makes you feel seen. I'm telling you, this is the closest thing to a magic trick that we have. He who refreshes, she who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. Why? Because he is the source. And if he can get it through you to them, he will be faithful to continue to get it to you. The way to get more in the kingdom of heaven is to give away what you already have and watch it backflow 
from the bank account that does not run dry. If you're a vessel, you know how much he wants to use vessels? He looks at you and goes, oh, I can get so much through that person. You better believe I'm getting it to that person. Like it comes down to, hey, just don't block God's generosity. And you'll crush it. Like the life that you will experience, the way you'll watch your world and your soul get larger and larger, your relational bank account just fill to the brim is simply just by not blocking God's generosity and blessing that he wants to get through you because if he can get it through you, then he can get it to you. This is, this is where your wealth is, I am telling you. This is the legacy you will leave. And I believe the size of the soul you will take with you this will not matter from the moment you take your final breath on this planet. Invest in. Nobody this week has been talking about Kobe Bryant's basketball statistics. Have you noticed? I'm watching this all week. It's hit hard for a lot of people, but nobody is talking about his five rings or his bank account. All you keep hearing is story after story of ways Kobe deposited into other people. Deposited into other people. He was relationally rich. And what we're feeling and experiencing, what the world is experiencing is the legacy, is this, that Kobe just left behind. I heard a story recently, Michael Wilbon from Pardon the Interruption on ESPN. A few years ago, there's a story, he had a heart attack. And when he got home, there was a bouquet of flowers on his front porch that said, get better soon, love Kobe. And he thought it was a practical joke his friends were playing on him because he only interviewed Kobe like one or two times before that, thinking surely this can't be him, reached out to Kobe, and sure enough, it was Kobe Bryant who sent him those flowers. And so Michael showed up at an arena that Kobe was playing at to thank Kobe, and Kobe took the time away from warm-ups to come over and talk to him, speak life into him, and even did this. He said, Michael, you're a dad now. We need you in the game. We can't lose you. You, you, you can't, and he said, he called him out and said, you can't keep eating the way that you're eating. No more heart attacks, like Kobe Bryant calling him out. So I don't know if you caught that, but Kobe literally just did all three of these things to Michael spoke life into him, invested time, very valuable time into him, and spurred him on to finish strong and left an investment, a legacy. I was at a Need to Breathe concert at Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado a few years ago, the coolest, most iconic concert venue on the planet. If you play there, you've arrived, you've made it. And there's, uh, there's 10,000 people just shouting. And Bear Reinhardt, the lead singer, stopped after one song and talked to the, the crowd and said, hey, you, you wouldn't know this by listening to us tonight, but it's actually been a very, very difficult two years for us as a band. We've had a lot of fighting. There's been, two, there's been fist fights. <laughs> We've almost broken up about 10 times and he wasn't exaggerating. He said, it's been really tough up until about a month ago. And from the most iconic stage, looking at 10,000 people and all this hype and energy, he said, a month ago, because we decided we were going to choose each other over the hype of all of this. Because the hype is awesome. Enjoy it when it comes. But you can't take it, and you can't leave it. 
and trading this for it is a horrible trade. And he said, that's what we were doing. And we just decided it's time to love each other more than we love the hype. Because I want to be rich in relationships. I feel that right now. I'm looking even at, it, at you guys right now. This is exciting right now. Like this is, church planters, this is a dream right now to be part of something like this with so many amazing people. There is energy and excitement around Red Rocks Church right now. But I know deep down my wealth is not in that, but in the fact that I get to build this with people that I love. And one day when the hype is no longer there, and that day will come, my wealth won't be in the hype. It'll be with the people that I love and the fact that I get to do what I love with them people over place, people over prominence, people over platform, people over profession. That's all the P words I got for you right there, but people, people, people. Kobe Bryant, his life was basketball second, and that's saying a lot, but truly, we're not hearing basketball statistics this week. It's only stories of people, only stories of people on repeat. The soul that he brought with him and the legacy that he left. Because I know he was, a, he was a church guy, but in his 167, it was people before it was basketball. And because of that, we, can, we mourn and we feel it and we celebrate a very, very special life that has affected so many people. May you be rich in relationships. That's my prayer for you. And I also know that does not happen Accidentally, Nobody stumbles into great relationships. That's why the Bible teaches over and over, you gotta work, you gotta remain, you gotta give the benefit of the doubt and forgive. You gotta, you gotta think the best in people and choose to see it, even if there's no evidence. Like, you gotta work at relationships, but my gosh, is it worth it? He wants you to be rich relationally and famous to a few. And so I pray, man, that we'd learn to be a church that draws bigger and bigger circles like Jesus, counterintuitive from human nature, to include those who hurt us, to include those who disagree with us, who don't text us back, who wrong us, looking up, like showing up to whatever, looking to refresh, looking to deposit, understanding the counterintuitive laws of social generosity in the kingdom of heaven, that he is my source. If we were a church that knew that, what we could give, because if God can get it through us, then God can get it to us. And that's a, a recipe for changing this city. We are his plan for this city. And that looks like drawing one big circle as a church family, rich in relationships and famous to a few.